0: Good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're watching online or here, I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word. You should have a couple of things with you, usually about three. You should have a copy of God's Word. You should have notes, and you should have an ink pen. What's your ink pen? There you go. I saw it. What your ink pen is telling your brain. What you are informing you is this is like faith. You know, Lord, you show me something today, I'm going to write it down. It's nothing that both challenges and comforts your pastor to hear pages rustling and people taking notes. So we're working our way very slowly and delicately through book of Romans, and we are at verse 8 this morning, so I would invite you to stand to your feet as we read this verse, and we're going to slowly work our way through this this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, we are looking at gospel union, our union in Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed, in all the world. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up and just look at a snippet but Lord then see how it is connected all through your word from the old to the new Lord. We thank you for your word this morning and how it all points us to your son. I thank you for people that have the ability to write music that that comforts us and orients us and leads us to praise, like we already have. And so now, Lord, we come to you in just as we are. And we are, some of us are tired and some of us are burdened and some of us are, are bouncing happy. And whatever it is, Lord, allow your word to orient us and comfort us in Jesus' name. Amen. I hear music playing. Something. I just, it was going to bother me if I didn't say it out loud. I just, a, I said, I go, I hope it's out here somewhere because if not, better call the doctor. <laughs> Good. Somebody else has problems too. Our main idea today our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ brings gratefulness as the gospel spreads to all the world. But what stopped me in my tracks, I was planning on working through verses 8 to 11. And I've said this before, but it just keeps happening, and so we keep slowing down. Um, When I got to the verse here, when I look and just look at the verse, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. When I got to through Jesus Christ, I was just like, "Uh, uh," you know, why didn't he just say, I thank my God for all of you? What does being in Jesus Christ have to do with why he is thankful what does it have to do with their faith and the mission of God? All of these things that are just in this section. Well, that's what we want to talk about today. There is, and we all have experienced it, uh, the illusion of independence. Uh, we, we see it in little children who used to really love to hold their parents' hand, and then they begin to, they begin to pull away, you know, but just give them five minutes. And they'll prove to you that they are still very much a dependent. They go off to college to do their own thing. And yet, what happens when they run out of money? What happens when their car breaks? What what happens when there's an issue? They call somebody, usually their parents or maybe their grandparents, and say, help. Independence is an an illusion. There is a measure of independence that is good. <laughs> but listen, what we're getting to this morning is God did not create us to be independent. There is only one that is independent, and that is God. The rest of us are contingent. We are dependent. Everything about us, we don't desire to be, as believers, independent. We are not self-sustaining. We we as a church are not fully autonomous. Though we say that we were were once a a campus and now we're autonomous. Nobody's ever fully autonomous because God didn't create us to be. We are dependent and we are interdependent people because that's the way our Creator made us. As we will talk about at the end in the application, there is an impact on your practical peace when we don't understand it. So what does this union in Christ mean? Quite a word to study. So just so you know, fast back 20, 30, whatever years ago. I'm old now. When a pastor used to preach and he would say something like union in Christ, I would write it down in a corner of my my notes somewhere and say, man, I need to study that more. I'm telling you, you start looking up. Just look up in Christ, not... Not just not to get into say through Christ and all these other ways of saying the same thing, but just look up in Christ. I counted about eighty nine times. I copied all of them, put them on a piece of paper, and I was sitting there going, "Well, can't preach all of that." So what is it? The best I can put together from everything that I've studied here in just a sentence, it is the whole work of salvation in the life of a believer that joins them to Jesus Christ and to His people through faith. It is the whole work. By that I mean redeeming us, reconciling us, and dwelling us, sanctifying us, and glorifying us. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. You need Jesus every second of your day. If you woke up this morning and didn't have him, you would be lost. We need him. We don't want to do it without him. Matter of fact, I want you to show, it's just, I'm almost jumping to application here, but it's important. It's one of those things, you, we're going to illustrate it here in a minute, but you really can't talk about anything without an illustration. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So notice with me, we're going to look at verse 17. Notice if you got your Bible and they've got one of those headings on it, notice what we're talking about, sexual immorality. So what he's saying, the context of here is is helping us understand and the church understand why sexual purity is is important, why it is imperative, and he says in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Right? He said, that's your motivation for sexual purity. As a single person... Or as a married person. That's it right there. Our union in Christ impacts it. Because part of our union in Christ is Him setting us apart as we've already talked about for Him. This, there's a couple of real close when you think about what is union. And, and what, it, what does it look like and why is it so important. First Timothy 2 5. Says this: For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The center of our union in Jesus Christ is that we have to have a mediator to bring us to God. And it's not a man. It's not a priest. It's not a. It's not a witch doctor. It's nobody. It's it's Jesus. And because we have him, we don't need anything else. But notice how that breeds our dependence. Think about this for a minute. Individually, we are united with Christ in in just a plethora of things. In his perfect life, Philippians 3.9. In his substitutionary wrath, removing crucifixion, Roman 6.6. His actual death, 2 Corinthians 5.14, we are united in his burial, Romans 6.4, we are united in his resurrection to life and his ascension, Ephesians 2.6, all of that is administered through the Holy Spirit that he gives us. Union in Christ is, is the whole work. It's everything else as I was listening to the a sing today. It's, it's like we're looking at a diamond through different facets when we start talking about our union in Christ. Robert Peterson said this, the most basic of all saving truths is the union of God the Father that forges between the believer and his son Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. To put it plainly, to be saved is to be united to the Savior. So what is union not? What it is not is being like Eastern mysticism absorbed into the divine. It's not what union in Christ is. It is not what foundationally the prosperity gospel believes and that is that we are little demigods and so we can name it and claim it this morning. That's not what union in christ is we do not diminish the godhead with our union in christ nor do we diminish our humanity with our union in christ our union in christ brings us to a spiritual family with a shared intimacy and a shared life it changes everything psalm 73 comforting to know that even in the Old Testament our psalmist understood a lot about this. Psalm 73 verse 23. Psalms 73 verse 23 says nevertheless I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I am made I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your works. So union in Christ is the whole work of our salvation. Now let's just think for a few minutes. I don't have time to to really set on any of these. But I just want you to, to, to just recall in your mind all that the Bible illustrates. Now, an illustration or an analogy is important. If you are a very literal, concrete thinker, sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle with you as you read the Bible. It's just saying, this is like that. He's using things from their culture that they would have completely understood to say this is what union in Christ is like. Our union is Christ in John 15. is like a vine united to its branches without the branch We can do nothing. Our union in Christ is is like a member united to a body, like fingers and toes and hands and feet united to a body. Our usefulness and our purposefulness comes from our head, and our head is Jesus Christ. Not only does it show us that, that Jesus is our head, It shows us that no other member is less important than the other members. You try to walk without your big toe. Let me know how it works out for you. You realize, oh, that thing's important. We need each other. There is an interdependentness in the body. And, oh, I want to stay here for just a minute. Our union in Christ, Ephesians 5.22, is like two spouses that are united together. When is the last time that you met a married couple that is still married, that is like each other? I'd like to meet them. I just hadn't seen very many. Not the ones that stay married. The ones that stay married are completely opposite from each other. And what this is, is not two people coming together. We're one crushes the other's personhood and the other personhood is flat but where two people intertwine their lives and become one and both are the better for that. That's the picture of what it means to be united to Christ in a far better way, a far, far better way. We are united eternally and separately with Christ and do not become different people but we become Christ-like people. Our union in Christ is like a building with a firm foundation. You ever bought a fixture-upper? Miss Jamie has, had not you? You better crawl under that thing and look at that foundation, right? Because that foundation will mess you up. Oh, yeah, that, that, that exterior looks nice. It has that porch you've always wanted. <laughs> but the thing's sitting on rocks and got termites and is wet underneath there and got mold. You better look at your foundation. Here's what he says. Jesus is our foundation. He's the cornerstone that orients everything. We could just keep going. And He's the bread of life that sustains us, John chapter 6. He's the water that gave life to the Samaritan at the well. And on and on it goes. These are the illustrations of the whole work of what it means to be a believer, to be in Christ. We define it, we illustrate it, but now let's just look for a few minutes at at the end of verse 7 and verse 8, lost. what does it mean to live that out? Let's think about grace for a minute. I can only just skim on different aspects. and I just want to use the text. I, we, we left off the end of verse 7. Let's look at it last week. He's now, remember, he's in his introduction here. Verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the grace of peace, union with Christ brings His grace. He's not speaking to just any people here. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the redeemed He's asking the Lord for His grace. And where grace comes, peace comes. This word peace is where we get the word shalom. It can just mean general well-being and prosperity, just good of every kind he's praying for them. Listen to one theologian says, grace here is used as God's spontaneous unmerited favor in action. His freely bestowed loving kindness in operation. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Lasting peace comes only as a result of the grace of God. And only the grace of God comes except through Jesus Christ. Grace is what we receive. Peace is what we experience. It's what it feels like. He's praying that for him. The Son has taken His place beside the Father as the giver of all good things. All spiritual blessings. Notice this. The gospel preached through three words. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. That's His divinity. One with equal to the Father. He is Jesus. He has a name. He had an address, so to speak. It's his humanity and and Christ. That is his redemptive role in coming to redeem us, to bring us in him. I want you to see this brings us not only into peace, it brings us into his presence. And I just want you to I want to contrast here for a minute that there's a lot of substitutes, dare we call them counterfeits. Yes, that's what they are. For our union in Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 5. I want you to just show you a couple here. And we'll keep moving. John chapter 5. Look at verse 39. John 5, 39. I want you to see here. That religion. Doesn't bring us. Into His presence, religion can't do it. Sincerity in one's religion can't do it. Listen to what He says. He said, "You search the Scriptures." Now, what is the Scriptures? Be the Old Testament. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. So is he saying that Scripture alone is insufficient to give you eternal life? He's saying if you miss Jesus Christ, you can quote the whole Bible and miss everything. Everything. What have you done with Jesus? Micah, I was thinking about your conversation you had with somebody who was talking about all of these peripheral issues, and he stopped him to share the gospel with him. The question is, he never got to Jesus. You can know all of these peripheral issues. You can be good in your systematic theology, but what have you done with Jesus? He said, you search the scriptures. Religion doesn't bring us into his presence. And listen, emotionalism or sensationalism doesn't bring us into his presence. Acts chapter 8, if you want to go there, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you about it. It's Simon the Magician. Do you remember that story? Simon the Magician was watching what the apostles were doing. Man, people were believing. People were receiving the Holy Spirit. They were healing people, casting out demons. The lame were walking and he's a magician you know he he deceives people for a living he, and it, what's interesting in verse 13 is it says Simon believes i should scare you that not all belief is genuine belief he proves it because what he wanted was that the holy spirit to be given to him so he can improve his bottom line so he could grow His ministry or His kingdom. Emotionalism or sensationalism may draw a crowd, but is no indication of the union in Christ. What is? The grace of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Union, think about this, union in Christ is more than just God repairing your broken relationship with Him. It is that. It's more than that. It is Christ coming to live with us and to be in us. It changes everything. Turn with me to Romans 5. There's just so much grace here in this little... In just these few verses, I'm going to really try not to get stuck here, start preaching this text, but I just want you to see it. Notice the grace here. It's just so much grace. I've got it on my notes, just all the grace underlined. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, grace, we have peace with God, grace, through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, through Him we have also obtained accessed by faith into his grace in which we stand we rejoice in hope of the glory of God verse 3 not only that we we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does n- not put us to shame that's what it says but Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that He has given to us. That's the indwelling. The indwelling brings all the grace that even amidst the burdens that many of us are carrying now, and they all look a little bit different, we can know that right here, God says, I'm going to bring the grace that you'll be able to look at your suffering and and actually rejoice because you know what it's going to produce even though you can't see it. And I know that because the Spirit of God lives in me. The Holy Spirit creates this divine connection between your conversion and your rest of your life all the way to He takes you home. He is our down payment. He is our security But notice, as we need to get to verse 8, don't we? That's I have to preach this again next week. Union in Christ informs your prayers. It informs your prayers. It pulls us in close. Prayer was for Paul. Both a priority, and it was also personal. Notice, look with me at verse 8. You see the word first there? Find Second. You know, like firstly, duh, 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 duh. the second, duh, duh, duh. there's no second there. There's no third. He doesn't list it that because that's not his point. He's saying, this is important. This is a priority. This is what I want us to know. I want you to know about me, and I want me to know how I feel about you, that I love you, and I pray for you, and I don't pray to just anybody. I pray to my God. You see, that prayer is not only a priority, it's personal. Just listen to this, Psalms 18, verse 1 says, I love you, O Lord, my God. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's personal, isn't it? the essence of the new covenant, that that which makes the new better than the old is how it pulls us closer to the Almighty. listen to this, Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews says that's what Christ brought, the New Covenant. Our union with Christ is the essence of our prayers. It's the motivation of our prayers. No prayers are heard save through Jesus Christ. Everybody else is just whispering to the wind. Can you genuinely say this morning that he is my God? But notice what he's doing. What is he praying about here? Union in Christ brings, if you're taking notes right over, I, I sh- should have added this word and I didn't. Union in Christ brings a selfless gratefulness. It brings a gra- gratefulness, but notice what type. Notice what he's praying about. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul would do this other places. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Even when he had something hard that he had to say, he would always let them know, I love you, I care for you, and I'm praying for you. Prayer is priority. Prayer is personal. But listen, prayer is also communal. You see it? That's what he's praying about. How much of our prayer life is other centered, and how much of our prayers life is about me? He's praying. He wants them to know that he flips through. I mentioned this today, and I know if you don't have, you don't know what a Rolodex is. Just look it up, you and you know on, on, online, it, uh, that so to speak. Paul is also like a, like a Rolodex in his mind, flipping through, seeing people's names in the churches. And he, is all, he loves every one of them, and he's praying for them. He's concerned about them, and he can't send an email. He can't have a FaceTime. He's writing letters and sending people, and he's praying to God for them. Proud people have trouble with this. Because even when they pray, they are generally the subject and the object of their own prayer life. He is prayer because he is grateful because these believers have now begun to be scattered all over to the hardest to reach places. He's grateful for that. Even when Paul is an old man locked in prison about to get his head cut off, he is still praying for people. Still saying, bring me the parchments. Hey, and don't forget to bring Timothy. Hurry up, Timothy. I miss you. There is no greater test of our maturity than how much of our prayers are spent praying for other people union in christ informs our prayers union in christ ignites our faith this is he's grateful because of their faith union in christ has brought them from death to life union in christ is the means he is the object of our faith romans 323 teaches us that union in christ is the source of our salvation For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in what? Christ Jesus. One of those 89 times that is in Scripture. How does that ignite our flame? Listen to what Jesus says here, Matthew 5, 14. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all that is in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul gives thanks because through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit has brought faith. Faith in these believers' life, and in the midst of a dark place, this light has shined. He's not speaking that their faith was that wonderful. He's praising God for this faith. Listen, even even a small see union in Christ is the means of our maturity. Uh, First Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3.1 says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. What he desired to do is to see spiritual infants in Christ grow to adults in Christ. Union in Christ is... You can't miss it, can you? It drives us missionally. I mean... He says, because your faith is proclaimed all over the world. It is the union in Christ is the bookends of this book. It starts in, I think it was verse 6, saying that we belong to Christ. And then if you flip over to chapter 16, the very end of Romans, you're going to see this literal laundry list of people. That he begins to talk about and be grateful for. Union in Christ brings us into a partnership for his mission. His mission takes partnerships with people, takes churches coming together. It takes believers locking arms so that people who do not know might know. He just thinks that that Rome was once a place without any light. And now, there's light. Who would have been that impressed with another church in Jerusalem? Right? But what he said was, God has planted a church in the darkest places of Rome. And now there's light. There's this little band of believers. Union in Christ then drives what he's wanting for them. That union in Christ would begin to spread the light throughout Rome and into the uttermost parts of the world. If your life plan doesn't have the mission of God in it, you've got the wrong plan. How often do we hear this? Man, have you heard what's going on at so-and-so church? They built a big building. I grew up in the family life center age, right? Y'all remember that? Whatever years that was, where if you if you was any kind of church, you build a family life center. I'm not crashing on family life centers. I'm just saying it it became all the rage. And he's sitting there going, Joey Man, did you hear that, you know, the Sixth Baptist Church? I don't think there is a Sixth Baptist Church, why I'm saying it. Sixth Baptist Church, man, did they just build them a big building? He's not saying he's not grateful for that. He says, We're grateful because what people are talking about. Is your faith. That's what brings glory to God. All of these secondary things, God said He's going to take care of. If we seek first the kingdom of God, let us be known for our faith. I'm going to talk next week about communion. That union in Christ that brings communion with other believers. You already see it here, don't you? You can't get away from it. He's praying for other believers. It is Christ who created the church, not man. That's what it means by say he's the head of the church. We are his members. There is an individual reality to our union, but there's a corporate one. There's just no such thing as people that can say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Because Jesus united people to bring them together together into what He created, and He created the church. And so if you're not actively pursuing that, you don't have to wonder whether you're in God's will or out of God's will because God created the church, intends His people to be part of the church because we have one mission that we do, and we do it together. Who is the church? John 15 said it's those who abide. Those who abide. Paul never met the Romans Yet be a prisoner when he finally did. But they were his brothers and sisters. And this I can guarantee we've been from Romania to Honduras to Africa. And thirty minutes after we land the plane, we will be able to find us brothers and sisters, that our hearts, our minds are one with them even though we can't even speak their language. Why? Because of our union in Christ. We have a common faith. So what today? So what today? My timer's not up here, so if I go long, the timer's not up here, so I I don't have to watch it. I don't have to watch it because it's not there, and I don't have a phone, so, you know. So what? Have you been united in Christ? I mean, that's, isn't that the obvious question first? Nothing else matters. I'm not asking you, have you kicked your bad habit today? I'm asking you, what have you done with Jesus today? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of your works, so that you might not boast. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. Grace through faith produces, ignites a faith and a working faith. But you don't get it backwards. It will not bring you into the presence of God. It will not bring union in Christ. We cannot be saved through what we do. Are you united by faith? Christ and this I, I picked this part of the application exactly for us us meaning me included and you I don't know everything that's going on in your life but I know this is the text that God wanted us to look at in closing today and the question is are you enjoying the rest that comes through our union in Christ Isaiah 26 Isaiah 26, and verse 1. Isaiah 26, and verse 1. It says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Now, now listen to the picture now. You, if you, you have trouble putting pictures in your head, you've got to do it right here. There is a city, and it has a gate. Right? Picture that in your mind. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The the walls and the bulwarks is our defensive protection. He closes the gate, verse 3. That word perfect peace is the word shalom. The same word that we saw in Romans. But I want you to see how much your thinking and your mind is affecting your peace as a believer. It says your mind must be stayed on the Yahweh. Stayed. What does that mean? We don't use that word very often. It means to two things together. It means to firmly grasp, but it also means to restfully lean. It means to take firmly a hold of something, but it also means lean back into him. Grace brings peace and peace brings rest. Peace is the opposite of restlessness, of strife, of uncertainty. And even while I was writing this this week, I could feel the hard and the complexity of what I was writing, of what comes up in our mind, because life, now listen, life is uncertain. Right? Isn't that some of our burdens right now? I mean, I got blood work in a couple weeks. I I don't know what that blood work is going to say. It is uncertain by the very nature of it. And what you are going through, all of us are going through, is, is uncertain. That's not what they're he's saying. Family problems, health problems. Here's the grace. The Lord says the Lord keeps us in shalom as we, with our minds, fix our tomorrows on Him because we trust in Him. You see, that's different than the uncertainty that's happening in your life right now. The question is for Stephen, what am I doing between my ears is impacting whether I have anxiety or peace today. Because I've got to choose both to grab hold of something and to rest in something. To grab hold of this, to say, i grabbing hold of that. I want to. I've always grabbed hold of that. I'm not grabbing hold of that. I'm going to rest in this. It's this trusting, trusting principle that we've said a thousand times here. There is something that you must trust and obey. And there's something you must entrust and give over to Him. And we fight this fight in our minds by firmly grasping a hold of who our Lord is and what He has promised us, sliding, sliding to us what He's told us to do and sliding away from us what He's not given us to fight. That brings an amazing peace. I can tell you this, and no, preachers don't post to talk about themselves. But I don't have a calendar on the refrigerator marking to when my blood work is, because you know what that would be. And some of you need to listen to this. You might have that kind of thing. That becomes a prison. Mm. Mm. Oh my goodness, when is it? Mm. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> mm. Oh, it's, it's like a guy in the prison marking sitting there going, "Yeah, I got a death sentence of 490 years, and I'm marking them off by the days. Probably better not do that." Not going to have very many good days. Justified to live by their faith. Peace is not the absence of trouble or even uncertainty, but the absence of restlessness in the trouble and uncertainty. That's the grace, and that's what comes through our union in Christ. And so today, I cannot leave you with anything better than Jesus said himself in Matthew 11. 29, just allow me to paraphrase. Jesus promised us that if you are weary or overloaded, come to Him and He will teach us how to rest in Him. Let's pray. Lord, as so many places in Scripture, we could just start over and never touch the same thing again. As we think about our union in Christ, as we think about Grace and all of its many facets of how you've given grace to us. Lord, even with the burdens that are on us, Lord, I pray as we worship now that you would overwhelm us with your grace, that you would allow us both supernatural and even practical graces to rest in you. Show us, Lord, how to do this. Teach us, we pray. Because we are teachable and we desire to learn from you and from your Son. Now, Lord, we just want to worship you through music and through our giving and through our communion. Lord, this is not some just some kind of dry symbolism. But we are remembering that our union with the Lord Jesus Christ is real. It is present with us right now. It is as real as a Spirit of God that lives within us, Lord. So we come to the tables and we take that bread and we take that cup. And as we come back to our seats and, and sing and worship, Lord, let us remember that we are just not rejoicing in information. We are rejoicing in your Son. His name is Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray.